my name's John, if you don't know me. And um, a few years ago now, probably over a decade ago, I, I ran the London Marathon. And um, it was... <laughs> yeah, but no, I mean, it was over a decade ago now. Um, and it was, it was an amazing, but it was also obviously an exhausting experience. And I remember around about the 21st mile, um, an old knee injury had flared up. Um, my eyes were stinging from the sweat that had got into my eyes. And every sort of friction-prone area of my body was subject to chafage. And my body... Too much detail. My body was demanding to stop but my brain was telling me to keep on going. And um, around about a mile later, my body eventually forced me to stop um, because um, I, I needed the toilet. And, <laughs> and it was kind of a, a portaloo situation rather than a bush situation. And without... Again, too much detail, isn't it? <laughs> and without doubt, the most traumatic moment of that race was when I then had to come out of the portaloo and convince my body to get back on its feet and keep going. Because my brain was saying, come on, let's do this. But my body was saying, you have got to be joking me. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation in your journey of faith where you felt like you had to convince yourself and persuade yourself to continue and persevere. I suspect there, there probably comes a point where we all have that, that experience at some point, where we need to hear words like these um, from, from Hebrews in the Bible, chapter 12, where it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Today we're going to start a series of talks over four weeks based in this book in the Bible, Hebrews. And um, in many ways, those couple of verses really capture the essence of this book. Um, it, is, it is a book that encourages us and spurs us on. If you were part of this church, you know, in the past when we were doing some of the building campaigns, you'll recall that those verses, we, we held fast to those verses as we faced a, a demanding leg of our journey as a church. Um, so it's deeply encouraging, but it's also quite a complex book. Um, it contains a lot of language, sort of religious language about sacrifices and priests and various biblical characters that we might not be so familiar with. And so it isn't always immediately obvious what's going on in Hebrews and, or how it's relevant to us today in 2019. So, for example, it's not clear who wrote it. Um, there are a few early church figures who've been suggested as potential authors, but but nobody, essentially, we're not sure. Um, we just know that it's somebody who lived within a generation of Jesus and knew some of the people that knew Jesus. However, there is some sort of um, sense of, of clarity and consensus that Hebrews seems to have been written originally to an audience of mostly Jewish Christians. And by that, I mean people who, who were Jewish in terms of their ethnicity and their cultural background and their beliefs. But they, had, um, they sort of still would very much re recognize and consider themselves as Jews. But they had come to recognize Jesus as their savior and their Messiah. And they'd come to place their trust in him and start to follow him. And we pick up, as we go through Hebrews, a few clues to their circumstances. In chapter 5, we hear that they've been following Jesus for a while now. 
few chapters later in chapter 10, we hear about some of the persecution that they've been facing in order to pursue their faith. So we, we, apparently they've been, some of them have been scorned and insulted. Some of them have had possessions confiscated. And in some cases, they've been imprisoned. And so it's, it's, um, that's clear. What's not clear is exactly where, it, where this was happening, whether it was in Rome or another city. We're not sure. But that doesn't stop us from being able to establish with some level of clarity and confidence the purpose of Hebrews. Um, it's a book that was written to encourage and, and people to persevere in their faith, especially when they were encountering opposition. And so as we've been sort of preparing these talks that are going to unfold over the next four weeks, the team of us, we were sort of like trying to figure out how we could sum this book up. Um, and we thought it would be helpful to talk about what, why, and how is it saying. Um, so what is it saying? Um, it will come up on the screen. Essentially, Hebrews is saying, Jesus is just more valuable than anything else. And why is it saying that? What's the purpose of it? It's saying that to encourage believers to persevere, to hold on to their faith, to not turn back, to not choose anything, any alternative. And the way that it does that, how does the writer make that point? It makes that point over and over again by, by comparison, by comparing Jesus to, to other things that we might be tempted to turn back to and saying, look how much better Jesus is. Okay? And so through the letter as it goes, um, first Jesus is compared to angels, and then he's compared to Moses, and then some of the, like the priests and the old law and the sacrificial system. And we'll look at some of those things over the coming weeks. And each time the emphasis is, just look at Jesus. Jesus is so much better than that. All these things that you treasure and you revere, Jesus is superior to it all. So choose him over anything else. Because when we, when we come to appreciate how, how valuable something is, we're less likely to let go of it, aren't we? Now, in addition to that sort of main emphasis, there's lots of sub-themes and plot lines going on. And to be honest, over the next four weeks, we're not going to do much more than probably scratch the surface, really. There's a lot that we're going to have to leave out. Um, and we're just going to focus on four key themes that we think could be helpful in the hope that we can, as a church, sort of get our bearings a little bit and also begin to take some of the encouragement from this text. Because... Because whether you're here today at a point in your journey where you need encouragement right now or not, almost certainly one day we all will. And when you reach that point, this book in the Bible is a brilliant place to go. So that's a bit of an introduction. Let's have a look at the first couple of verses. If you've got a Bible, you might want to find Hebrews. It's towards the back of your Bible in the New Testament. And we're going to start in chapter one. It says, in the past... God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. So, as I said, when the audience first heard this, they, had, they were facing a test to their, to their faith. Persecution of the church had begun. And, it, and they were beginning to think it was perhaps a little bit easier to forget about the things that Jesus has said 
and fall back to, to the conventional Jewish beliefs that they'd grown up with, which were, which were less controversial, more socially acceptable. Perhaps those of weaker faith had begun to drift away, and even those of stronger conviction would have begun to wonder, you know, like, is, can we actually trust what Jesus says? Now, for us, in 2019, I'd imagine few of us are tempted to turn away from the Christian faith and turn instead towards first century Judaism. That's not a common thing that we would experience. But there is a common principle here. Because Jesus' teaching is so, it's so culturally radical that it will eventually always lead us to, to a crossroads of decision where we have to make a choice. Um, and that's something that anyone who seeks to follow Jesus encounters at some point. During Jesus' life, his, his, um, his cousin, John the Baptist, at a point where he was facing persecution um, and his life was under threat, he was in prison and he found himself asking this question. It says in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 11, when John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? I think that's a question that many of us ask at some point. Is it really worth banking everything on the message of Jesus? Especially when we're facing resistance and we can be tempted to drift away from Jesus' teaching. You know, do I, do I really need to listen to what Jesus says about money? You know, perhaps you might, you know, we start, we feel called to start giving and being generous with our money, and then we, and then the car breaks down, and we're like, oh man, do I really need to listen to Jesus about this? Do I really need to listen to what Jesus says about sex outside marriage? Is he really, really right about that? Am I really expected to live out what Jesus says about about loving um, people who persecute us and loving our enemies when that person has hurt me so much? Can I really persevere? into that truth and live my life around Jesus' teaching as a Christian? Or is it just time to turn back to the patterns and the principles that I once lived by? And these first few verses that I've just read out are a bit of a response to that question. Do you remember that thing that I said, what is it saying, why is it saying it, and how is it saying it? What is it saying in these first couple of verses? It's saying what Jesus says, his truth, is more valuable than any other message. And he's saying that to encourage us to, to, to hold fast to what Jesus says, not to listen to the alternatives. And the way that he does that he, is he compares the message of Jesus to the alternatives. He says, you can trust that Jesus is the best truth. He's the best revelation. He has revealed to us things about God and things about truth and life in a way that's better, that's fuller than any other religion, message or philosophy that we could compare it to. And we, see, we quickly see how he does that through this comparison. So the first comparison that we see in verse 1 says, In the past, this is how God spoke to you, but in these last days, he's spoken to you in a new way. The writer is comparing, this is what you used, in the past, you used, this is what we once had was the Old Testament scriptures. This is what you had, and God spoke to us through these. This is this, is this rich source of truth that God has given us by the prophets. But in these last few days, in the person of Jesus, God has spoken to us in a, in a new way. And now that we have the teachings of Jesus, we have a new revelation of truth in him. And um, the point that he's making here kind of reminds me of a video that somebody showed me recently of um, these people who had grown up colorblind and they've invented these glasses that they can put on. And for the first time in their life, they see colors. And I just want to show you this video. Just, I think this sort of captures the idea. 
awesome. I see clearly. So it really works? Yeah. That is purple. What? And that's what this is saying. It's saying the thing that you had, it's like the monochrome image. And now you've got the color. Jesus' life and his teaching, it fulfills all the vacant gaps and the unfilled, unfulfilled promises that you've read about in the Old Testament scriptures. So why would you choose back to go back to black and white? As the, the theologian um, N.T. Wright, he, he, when he's talking about this passage in Hebrews, he says, it's effectively saying... Once you see who the son really is and the role he was always intended to play in God's plan, you won't want to go back to anything or anyone less. And uh, Justin Martyr, who was a second century philosopher who came to faith in Jesus during a time when Christians were being persecuted, he wrote to the Roman emperor trying to sort of convince him of the Christian faith. And this is the sort of the rationale that he used. This is how he argued his case. He said, we will now offer proof not trusting mere assertions, but being of necessity persuaded by those who prophesied of him before these things came to pass. And it continues, and this will, we think, appear even to you the strongest and the truest evidence. So I did, if you look at Jesus, he fulfills all the prophecies, all the promises of the Old Testament, and that's extremely persuasive. And I think, again, this is something that to us in 2019 doesn't necessarily have the same impact that it would have had to the original audience. You know, if, I'm, if I go into town, if I'm in Greg's, queuing up for my steak bake, and I turn to the person behind me and I say, hey, I know I don't know you, but you should choose Jesus because he's the fulfillment of the Old Testament promises. They're probably just going to say to me, you're weird. Can you go away? But if in first century Palestine, if you did the same um, in whatever the equivalent of, of Greg's was, um, they probably, they would have been more likely to, to it would have piqued their interest. What, how? What do you mean? What do you mean? And effectively, how? That's the question that this writer is answering in these next few verses. And actually, if you, if you look, if you skip on down, what happens next is that he begins to quote various passages from the Old Testament. So in verse 5, he talks about how God said, you are my son, today I've become your father. There he's quoting Psalm 2 from the Old Testament. In um, the next verse, 
verse 6, again, he's, he's quoting Psalm 97. In verse 8, he says, your, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. That's a quotation from Psalm 45. Verse 10, you laid the foundations of the earth, it writes. That's a quotation from Psalm 102. And so the, what, the, what the writer is doing here, he's presenting the reader with this image of the Messiah as God's son, one who has an eternal throne. And he's, he's painting this picture using the Old Testament scriptures that were written hundreds of years before. And then he's saying, have you noticed how Jesus, that's, how, that, that's who Jesus is. That's who Jesus is. And this is a bit of a theme of really the whole letter all the way through it. We'll see this in the coming weeks. It repeatedly quotes Old Testament texts written centuries before to say, can you see Jesus? Can you see Jesus there? And this revelation was vital in the birth of the church because when people realized that, it was a bit of a game changer for them. It was like the moment where they put the color glasses on and saw who he was for the first time. We get, there's, um, there's a little glimpse of this that we see in a story in Luke's gospel where, where a couple of Jesus' disciples, they encountered the risen Jesus after he had died. And initially they don't recognize him, but later they, they do. And afterwards, as they're reflecting on that, they say, it says, they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Because when they saw Jesus in the, in the context of the Old Testament, it was like they put the glasses on and they saw him. And this is something that we can experience when we, you know, we often start by reading the New Testament and then we, we can do it the other way around. We can see him in the Old Testament. I remember when I started um, exploring faith, I found the Old Testament really confusing. Don't know if anybody else would share that, sort of like, that finds it easier to read the New Testament than it is to read the Old Testament. And I remember doing that thing where, has anybody ever done that thing where you try and read the Bible from front to back? You, you start in Genesis and you go, start to go all the way through it. And I got to, I just remember falling asleep so many times in numbers. Numbers. Whoa. But I remember um, persevering with it and starting to read the Old Testament and the New Testament side by side using like a reading plan. And I began to understand some of the big plot lines. And as I read the story of Isaac and Abraham, I, I, I saw for the first time, oh, that's a picture of the father and the son. And when I saw, read the book of Daniel, I began to see Jesus' influence in that story. And as I read the book of Isaiah, I began to see, oh, wow, it's, talking, it's just talking about Jesus. It's painting a picture of Jesus. And I began to see all the color in the Old Testament. And so I think we, in 2019, can take an encouragement from this passage today. Jesus' words can be trusted because when we look at the whole of the Bible, um, we can see that more than any other source of truth and guidance, God's truth is fulfilled in the most dynamic and incredible way. We can be reminded that we see um, a compelling and wonderful revelation in Jesus. And so we can trust what he says. Um, and as we continue on, if you go on to the, the next verse, I know we're going quite slowly, he emphasizes this point a little bit further. He says, it's talking about Jesus, and it says, uh, the sun, this is verse three, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. So Jesus is not just, he's not just like another messenger from God, he's, he's the sun, he's the radiance of God's glory. He's, it says, he's the exact representation so he's you know he's it's like he's the father is not the son and the son is not the father but but they are the exact representation of one another they have the same essence they are both god in nature and what he's what he's kind of emphasizing here is you know 
Don't allow yourself to think that Jesus is just another messenger. Don't allow yourself to think that he's just another prophet. He's more than that. He's above all of those prophets, all of those messengers. He's above even the angels. It says um, in the following verse, For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son? Today I have become your father. And then he goes on to compare Jesus to the angels. and says, Jesus is so much better than the angels. Now again, in 2019, this argument doesn't necessarily have the same traction. I'm back in Greg's again, um, turn to my friend, and I say, well, actually, you should definitely trust Jesus because he's so much better than the angels. That's the point where they're probably going to start to ask for security to get involved. <laughs> but to this first century Jewish audience, to them, angels were associated with, with Jesus' message his authoritative message in their tradition and their belief was that God had used the angels to speak the, New Testament, the Old Testament scriptures to, to the church fathers. And so they believed that God's message, God's authority came through the angels. And so the point here is that Jesus carries an authority that's, that's superior, that's, that's beyond even that. He's not just the carrier of the word. He is the word. He, he embodies it. And, you know, one of Jesus' closest friends, John, who spent a lot of time around Jesus, that's the way he described, when he talks about Jesus in his gospel, he described Jesus as the word. And he remembered how Jesus described himself as the truth. Jesus says, I am the truth. I literally am it. Jesus is the best revelation because he's, he's superior to all the other messengers. And consequently, it continues to explain. And so his word, it, it carries a power. It carries an enormous power. It says, sustaining all things by his powerful word. We can trust what Jesus says. We can trust that he's the best revelation because his words carry power. You know that phrase, um, the proof of the pudding is in the eating. You know, that, you know that phrase? And the idea is that you can only say that something is true. You can only say something is a success when it's actually been tried and tested. And to, to use a literal example, my wife, Abby, makes this bread and butter pudding using chocolate brioche that's just the best pudding in the world. And, of course, I can stand here and say that to you, and some of you will believe me, some of you won't. But if we were to make a thousand portions of it and you all were to eat it, you would acknowledge that, yes, it is the best pudding. <laughs> the proof of the pudding is in the eating. And in the same way... We can trust what Jesus says. We can trust his revelation of truth. Because unlike other thoughts and philosophies that have come and go, gone over the centuries, his word, his truth, has been sustaining all things since the dawn of creation. And for centuries, his word and his message has demonstrated that it has been demonstrated to show that it has power. It has power to change lives. It has power to change communities and different situations. Um, one, one lady who, who got baptized here um, last year, um, she shared in her testimony, she said, During the Alpha course, I experienced an overwhelming encounter with the Holy Spirit where um, one of my, my table hosts prayed for me and she spoke about things that she herself would not have known. This is when I truly knew that the Holy Spirit was with me and that God was asking me to be vulnerable to him, put my faith in him with his life. Her experience was the proof of the pudding. Jesus' message became real for her in a new way when she encountered his power. And that's the way it works. When, when, when we experience God's power, 
it all becomes real in a new way. And in skipping on to chapter 2, this is the writer sort of reminds us of this. He says, uh, we have to pay careful attention to what we've heard, not drift away from it. And it continues because um, it describes Jesus' message as, as this great salvation. And it says, this message, this salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. And God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles, and by the gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. So Jesus' words are powerful because, because they were accompanied by all these signs and wonders. And, you know, when stuff like that happens, stuff gets real. Stuff begins to sort of become true for us in a new way. Just a little example of this in my life. Take, for example, this um, verse in, in chapter 4. Um, later on in verse 4, verse 12, um, it says, For the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. So um, I love that Bible verse. And, um, you know, it's in the Bible. I, I, I believe it's true. I believed it's true for a long time. But last year I had an encounter, an experience, where that verse got real for me in a new way. So what happened was over a period of a few months... Um, I had this recurring image. When I was praying, when I was worshipping, I would have this image of um, different types of blades, um, like swords or kitchen knives or Stanley knives or razor blades, um, just flash into my mind's eye. And it was happening for a while. And um, for some reason, I didn't really pay very much attention to it. Um, and I didn't speak to anybody about it because people tend to get freaked out when you say, I just keep thinking about knives, man. <laughs> and... Anyway, I finally got round to praying about it. And I felt like God was leading me towards this verse. He was saying, you know, my word is sharper than any double-edged sword. And I felt like he was basically prompting me to, to lean into my word. And he's saying, when, you, you know, when, when that picture comes to you, you might be in a conversation, you might be preparing a talk, you might be doing what I'm doing now. In that moment, whatever you're doing, stop and engage with my word. And remind yourself that it's dynamic, that it's alive. Um, and, and it's not static. And it was a really powerful moment for me. Anyway, shortly after, we were visited by a pastor called Chad Norris, who's this really prophetic guy. Um, and he was praying with some of the team here and sharing some prophetic words. So when he came to pray for me, um, I decided I was going to be a little bit cheeky with God. And so silently, I, I said to God, um, you know, I really want to know that that thing that you said is real. And so, and that what's happening now is real. So would you give him that message? Would you tell him about the blades for me? Which is kind of cheeky prayer, isn't it? So I prayed that, and then I was quiet. And then the very next thing that he said was, there's a razor blade in your mouth. And the very next thing that I said was, flipping egg. I can't <laughs> believe that. And in that moment, God's word got real for me in a new way because I encountered his power. And in the same way, as we, as we seek to share the truth of Jesus, we need to remember that it will get real for people when they encounter his word, but also his power. And that's why we do both. That's why we do. It has massive implications for the way we share our faith. You know, my friend in Greg's, if I say to him, third time lucky with him, I say, well, trust Jesus because of his power. 
Um, you know, that, that may or may not convince him. But if I take a risk and maybe I offer him a prophetic word or I offer to pray in God's power that he might be healed and he encounters that same power, then the stuff that Jesus says might get a little bit more real for him. And so I think that's a reminder that we are called to share our faith with, with words and actions. Just yesterday, actually, there were some guys out in Market Square. And one little story, they bumped into a guy, started a conversation with him about Jesus. And this same thing happened. They offered to pray for him. And they said he, 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 he said, OK, but he, he looked a little bit skeptical. But then they shared a prophetic word about his, they felt they knew something about, God was giving them insight into his life circumstances, what was going on with his job, I think it was. And he said to them, I can't, he said, are you guys psychics or something? You know, he said something like that. I'll have to read it. Um, But then he opened his heart to Jesus because he encountered his truth and his power. So we're almost out of time. Um, We've reached just up to the start of chapter two. Um, And in truth, there are lots of things that we haven't had time or I haven't had the wisdom to express. But I hope that's given you some encouragement this morning because I think we could all do with a bit of encouragement and because we live in a world where there are so many completing and conflicting messages vying for our attention. And as, as each of us, as we try and follow Jesus, or you might be here today and you're just considering whether to start following Jesus, There will always be distractions and curveballs that come and try and sort of force us to drift away. It might be that you're here right now in a point where you're feeling that tension, where you're a bit like, in a spiritual sense, you're where I was in the marathon, where you're like, I just don't know if I can do this anymore. There's part of you that's that's saying turn back, but there's part of you that's saying stick with it, and you're kind of confused. And even if that's not where you're at today. As I, as I said at the start, there comes a point where probably most of us encounter points like that on our journey. Do I persevere? Do I turn back the way I came? I hope the message that's come across today is just stick at it. Stick with it. Stick with Jesus. He's more valuable than anything else. There was a point in Jesus' ministry where he had begun to say some things that were pretty challenging and lots of people were turning away from him. And Jesus turned at that point to his disciples and he said, do you too want to walk away? Jesus said, do you want to abandon me as well? And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And today I want to encourage you with those same words. No matter what happens, listen to Jesus. Stick with him because his message is fuller. It's the fullest color revelation It carries more authority and power than anything else. It's the best revelation, so stick with him.